Welcome to the Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. In the early hours of July 11th, the rain-swollen Lamoille River rose up out of its banks and tore through the heart of downtown Johnson, Vermont. Significant parts of the downtown lay in ruins. Johnson's wastewater treatment plant was destroyed, and the downtown supermarket, the town offices and fire department, surrounding farms, the Johnson Health Center, and dozens of manufactured homes all sustained significant damage. Many are wondering how it's possible to recover from such a disaster. An answer may come from a homegrown source. Jenna's Promise is a recovery community in Johnson that helps women with substance use disorder. It is named for 26-year-old Jenna Tatro, who died in February 2019 following a drug overdose at her family's home in Johnson. Her parents, Greg and Dawn Tatro, founded Jenna's Promise as a place they wished Jenna had, a community-based center for women in recovery. In just a few years, Jenna's Promise has expanded into a number of formerly vacant buildings in Johnson and now includes recovery housing, a workforce development program, a popular downtown cafe, a coffee roastery, and a surplus goods and appliances store. The flood damaged one of their recovery housing locations and filled the basement of the cafe, but the cafe is now up and running again. I found Greg Tatro, who owns GW Tatro Construction, on the porch of the renovated church now known as Jenna's House, which serves as a headquarters of the program. It's a white stucco building with a bell tower that sits peacefully at the top of a small hill in Johnson. I wanted to know from Greg whether what he and Jenna's promise have learned about recovery might be helpful to communities like Johnson that are struggling to recover from the flood. I began by asking Greg the story behind the name Jenna's Promise. Well, Jenna was in a rehab uh, and then went to sober living in New Hampshire. And there was a lady or a person there, I should say, that um, had to leave because they didn't have enough money to stay. And... um, so Jenna called and said, hey, can, can you send some money so we can help this person stay in? And, you know, at that point, we'd spent quite a lot trying to keep Jenna on this earth. And uh, we had to say no. Uh, I wish I didn't probably now, but we had to at that point. And uh, Jenna said, you know, she's talking to her mom. She said, Mom, when I, uh, when I get out of here, we're going to go around the state and raise awareness and raise Uh, money for people that don't have the money that Jenna was fortunate you know she had her family behind her and we've been very fortunate in time too so that was the promise that after Jenna passed we went back and remembered that conversation and so that was that's Jenna's promise and she's the one who really came up with this idea and And uh, I'm not sure she realized it would get so big so quick, maybe, but uh, I got a feeling she's smiling, looking down uh, from heaven. And uh, so we'll, you know, that was the start of it. It took us a little while to to remember all that, figure it out, but uh, it is Jenna's promise. And uh, Jenna's life insurance actually paid for this building. It was uh, pretty close to the same amount of money. And... uh, that's why we do call it Jenna's house, because she, she actually did pay for the thing, and not in, a, not in the way we wanted her to, but uh, 
she's given hope to a lot of people. So we're, you know, we're here just to keep helping and doing what we can. And, uh, you know, Jenna's name will be around, probably around a lot longer than mine, actually, and that's okay with me. If Jenna's promise has a large footprint at Johnson, it's because the crisis of substance use disorder has made a major mark on the community. I met Johnson Select Board member Duncan Hastings, who described what he discovered in February on the fourth anniversary of Jenna Tatro's death. There was a service for Jenna's, Jenna. Uh, Four-year anniversary. Yeah, and one of the things you did was have people ring a bell and I was absolutely stunned at the number of people who stood in line to ring the bell for someone in their family who, who they had lost as a result of um, addiction issues. And it was, it was moving and touching. Um, and to think of the work that your family is doing to help in that regard is really impressive. Really, really you didn't think the problem was as widespread as that? I knew it was a problem, but that was like, that was like a visual, a hard visual reminder. Duncan Hastings offered to take me on a drive around Johnson to look at what the flood had done. I'm going to record as we go. I see the back seat is your rubber boots, your rain gear, your hard hat, shovel. <laughs> what, what, what's this car been for you in the last week? Uh, it's been, I've been, I've been focusing a lot on, um, <clears throat> believe it or not, I have a, an exciting new career in solid waste management, I think. We, <laughs> you're, you're joking, this is new as of a week ago? <laughs> yeah, I'm technically retired, but uh, a, a bunch of people have been um, responding with regard to, you know, solid waste uh, debris cleanup, which has been uh, massive. Uh, been massive so we're crossing the railroad street bridge here right now and they actually there was a sewer line that got broken on this bridge i'm told there was six inches of water over the top of this bridge which is extraordinary Um, because it's it looks to be about 30 feet above the water yeah i've i've never seen it so if you can imagine that much water now we're on railroad street if you can imagine that much water in houses, you know, these houses probably had three to four feet of water in the first floors. And a, a couple on this side, I don't think were actually flooded out. But. So it looks remarkably normal and pretty right now. Yeah, and that's certainly um, thanks to a lot of work by the individual property owners and the town has spent a lot of time and effort, you know, trying to assist uh, people with debris cleanup. Uh, this is our library. Um, that, the water actually got up to the first floor in the library, and that's that's a first. Uh, I don't, even during the 95 flood, it did not get up to the first floor. And this business that's of course Jenna's uh, the Tucson's bakery and cafe the house next to it um, I'm told by the property owners that floodwaters never got in there before and it did this year so pretty much from we're on Main Street now pretty much 
<clears throat> most of the houses down this way uh, were impacted going by Sterling Market. That was, there was probably six or eight feet of water in the parking lot of Sterling Market, um, which is just a, a flagship business for the village. Uh, we're really hoping we can figure out some way to make that uh, come back and uh, be revived. Johnson Health Center that was underwater. The health center, the village fire department, the combined uh, town and village offices. We actually had water in the office building, uh, about eight inches of water on the first floor. Again, a first. And these buildings were elevated um, to above, uh, above flood level stage when they were built. So in theory, they were supposed to withstand a flood. Here says we need FEMA. Yeah. That that house was subject of a massive uh, volunteer cleanup effort. And I'm seeing the the river corridor here is just a scene of sort of devastation here. Yeah, if we were driving on this road during the flood, my car would probably be underwater. We turn off Route 15 into a manufactured home community. Numerous of the homes appear gutted and empty. So how many mobile homes are here in this park? I think uh, total, total is probably close to 100 in this immediate area where there was flooding, uh, probably about 25, 26. And how many mobile homes were flooded? About 25, 26, right, right in this area. You can pretty much see, uh, you know, this, this is in a bit of a depression. So none of that, none of the upper park was flooded. None of West Island Drive uh, was flooded, but this area on both sides of the road were, were definitely flooded. Well, these homes, what's the fate of the, the ones that are standing but flooded? I honestly don't know. Some of these homes are owned by the mobile, mobile home park owner, and some are individually owned. Um, and I honestly don't know. Most of them, I would say, have been gutted at this point. Um, you know, we had a huge cleanup effort here. I was on the team that was down here on Saturday, um, and we took out tons and tons and tons of, sadly, personal belongings. Um, I mean, that was just heartbreaking to, you know, see a CD collection or, you know, books or diaries and, you know, things like that. It was just, just devastating. Where have folks from the mobile home parks relocated to? You know, I am not sure of that. Many of them that I talk to are basically staying with friends or relatives at this point. Um, a couple of them were. We had a lot of people from the mobile home park initially at the emergency shelter. Um, this was one area that was evacuated um, along with Railroad Street. Um, so a bunch of those people came up to the emergency shelter. Um, but I think many of them are now, you know, have now found some sort of alternative location. I ask you uh, your name. Michael Bowen. And this is your mobile home here? Yes. What happened? It got flooded. What do you think that happened? What are you trying to do here in your tool shed? I'm trying to clean it out of the mud. Get my trash going. Where are you staying now? In the tent.
All right, well, thank you. Good luck. Yep. My name's David Goodman. I, I'm a reporter for Vermont Digger, and do you live here? Um, no. I, well, I live in the community, yes. We're in this park, but I'm on the hill, so. So your house didn't get flooded. Yeah. What happened, though, though throughout the park? Uh, it was super deep. Uh, I, I woke up at, like, 9, and it peaked around 6 a.m., and I just was like, no power? I wonder if it's still raining, you know? And I looked out, and just everything was underwater. It was just crazy. <laughs> Can I ask you your name? My name's Chris. And how long you lived here in this mobile home park? Um, I had, well, this was mine, this one here, but then I bought another one. So I would say since like 2009. So how many of the homes were flooded? From what I heard, 22 totaled homes and 16 cars in this particular area. I'm seeing a tent up in front of one of the homes, couple tents, or a lot, is that where a lot of people are living now? Um, some people got out, uh, some people had families, and then of course, uh, Department of Children and Families helped those folks get into, you know, motels or the elderly people and people who, you know, uh, but yeah, he's, you know, trying to get it all straightened out and he works a long ways from here. So when he's back, he put a little tent set up so he had a home base. Do you think the homes are salvageable, the ones that got flooded? Most of them are just going to get pulled out of here. Uh, if they are going to salvage them, they're going to have to do a lot of work. I mean, yeah. you got to rip all the floors out, subfloors, everything, and then rebuild, put new insulation underneath them. and It's a lot, man, these people are going through. What do you think the future is of this mobile home park? I think... You know, I think other people are coming back. I know some people are pulling trailers out, putting new homes in uh, and such. Uh, this area was supposed to never flood. Uh, years ago, I think it was, I think it was 1994 when Irene or something happened. That's the last time this area went under, but per FEMA, per FEMA regulations, the owner of the trailer park had to build this whole area up. And See, everything's like two feet off the ground. Yeah, so he so he built the whole area up, and they said that uh, it should never happen again, but here we are. <laughs> How did your home make it? Um, well, the water came about 50 yards up the hill to my house, so that was pretty amazing. Uh, I didn't have any damage because I'm, I'm not in the, you know, I'm on top of the hill. <laughs> so... For people who've never been here, what's the community like here in the park? Um, it's good. I, it was really amazing how everybody pulled together for everybody. Uh, yeah, that was pretty amazing. Everybody was, you know, helping everybody, you know, try to get through this because, yeah, it was a lot. Was it scary? Yeah, we kayaked. We had the kayaks out. We figured we, we turned a, a bad situation into a little bit of fun and we kayaked the neighborhood. I mean, when's the next time we'll be able to say we kayaked the neighborhood? <laughs> we had a bunch of us, like we had three kayaks. We were kayaking everywhere, trying to save stuff, trying to help people get food out of their fridges because the power was out. It was so deep you could open the door to the trailer, just kayak right into the living room and then get out because most of the stairs had floated away. 
Do you feel like you guys have gotten the help, the volunteers, whatever that you need? They, uh, they've been amazing. I mean, he didn't get as much help, or, and he really didn't get as much help as some of the other people, but, I mean, some people that came in here with, like, 12-man crews and just, I mean, they did a lot of work. I was delivering cold waters. They're like, no, we got water. I'm like, mine are cold, bud. <laughs> and they're like, you strike a hard bargain. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks for talking. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> okay. I returned to downtown Johnson and found Greg Tatro inside one of Jenna's Promises recovery housing locations. He asked that the location not be disclosed in order to protect the safety of the women who stay there who are vulnerable to exploitation by drug dealers and traffickers. Well, we're standing in the Ray of Hope. This was our first uh, recovery house. Uh, has six beds upstairs. Uh, it really was our flagship to begin with. So, um, yeah, we took a bit of a hit here, um, but it's coming. We're going to get it back uh, pretty quick. We're going to test the moisture again this morning, and maybe we can start rebuilding after the moisture is where it should be. How much so. water came in here? It was probably about, of course, the basement was full. We're standing on the first floor, maybe six inches, maybe a foot. I don't know if anybody really came in and measured it in here, but you could see the line on the wall. Of course, the walls are gone now, but I'm going to say probably around a foot of water in here. And were there residents at the time of the flood? We moved them over to some safer housing uh, a couple days before the flood because we knew that... Uh, there was a danger of uh, leaving people here. So we had some other beds in another building. Um, and, uh, you know, so it filled that building up, obviously. And, you know, the sad part of this whole deal really is the, uh, not just the amount of work, but, uh, you know, we have people that want to come join our program and we have, we don't have a place to put them right now. So, and these folks need, need our help. That's, I guess that's what bothers me the most. I mean, we'll, we'll get it fixed up, but knowing that those folks are out there waiting to come and, you know, the way it is nowadays, you don't know if they're going to make it, you know, are they going to live to wait till we get this going or are we going to lose a few more people? And that's, that's kind of hard to live with. I wish I could just snap my fingers and fix it, but we can't, so. So how soon you think before people can be back in here well i typically don't like to put deadlines and put myself in a corner you know but i'm gonna say maybe three weeks if things go good you know so uh we have carpenters ready to go as soon as we get the moisture level we can get them in here and get get moving but uh we just got approval for that and picked up their stuff oh good so i guess our moisture level is where it needs to be and so we'll we'll get those guys right over here. What was has been the impact on the people who had to move out? I I know these folks are in a fragile state. Well, there's no question. It took them a bit to get used to it, um, but they saw us out here working and doing the things we were doing to to save the buildings, and uh, I think they appreciated that. I heard a lot of the residents say, "Hey, thanks for all you're doing. Thanks for the hard work," because you know we had to move and that was that could be stressful for some of them they're all settled in now pretty well and um but it is you know you're right uh much change or 
things like that to somebody fresh into recovery, it can throw them for a loop. There's no doubt. But they seem to do pretty good. We got a good team. We communicated with them so they knew why and how and where. And, and that, that made a big difference. So it's, uh, it's coming. But those folks are fragile, and especially in early recovery. One thing that's great, and you know, this building was built before I was very involved in Jenna's Promise. It was one of the first projects of Jenna's Promise, but the idea that this is a home, a lot of times you expect housing for people who were fresh and struggling is rough, right? Um, this is a home. You can see there's, there's art on the walls, you know, there's a message, you are loved, you are needed, you are beautiful, you can do it. This idea of kind of wrapping them not just in services, but wrapping them in connection and the 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 genuine feeling that people care about them, and I think that's so much of the battle for people in recovery is knowing that they are needed, that they that they are loved, and Jenna's promise kind of wraps them in that feeling of support with their peers, with their you know, uh, their supports with the, the staff that we have um, kind of helping guide them and, and giving them the guardrails that they need to kind of get up to a higher plane from where they are. Do you think there's any way that for the people in recovery coming through this experience of this disaster can be beneficial you know that, that there's something to learn about the way you're recovering here you know which one i think i don't i don't know how it's going to affect people into recovery what we're doing i do know that if they weren't here and they had a home or an apartment that got you know destroyed um and you're 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 trying to recover i'm sure it's very very stressful um, the governor, ex-governor of Kentucky was up here a month or so ago and he had a big flood uh, in some of his communities in Kentucky, I think it was this spring, and the overdose and suicide rate went up substantially. Um, you know, people can only take so much and if you're active, active in substance use, a lot of people uh, are pretty depressed. You know, they 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 want to get better but um they don't they don't know how to or um detoxing is very uh very hard to do and uh, they know that if they just keep using they don't they don't get sick and they don't detox right so i'm i'm worried about a lot of the communities uh that are struggling with with substance use um i wouldn't be surprised to see an uptick and in uh, death, and I hate that. That's that's the one thing that I really am passionate about getting this death rate down. And uh, um, I I don't know. I'm I'm nervous for him for sure. Gregory Tatro, Greg's 35-year-old son and another co-founder of Jenna's Promise, offered his perspective. I would say from the town perspective too. You know, there's resonance in what some of these towns are going through and the journey that people go through in recovery where, you know, and you talked about this on the phone too, and we've been speaking similarly about this as well, where, you know, there's the hope and you're, you feel like you're going 
towards something better and we feel like that was Johnson, then you get hit, you know, and you you have that that stumble. Um, but ultimately, we get back up and we keep on building towards something better. And that's often the journey of recovery. Um, there's often a return to use in the larger journey of, of being in long-term stable recovery. And I think with Johnson kind of coming out of, you know, some, some real economic difficulties over the last few decades, um, you know, I think that we just got hit. But there's this resonance and this is the journey of recovery. And it doesn't matter what type of recovery we're talking about. It's still that same basic path. The Johnson Health Center, the only primary health clinic in town, and a partner with Jenna's Promise in treating people with substance use disorder, was flooded and remains closed. I spoke with Carolyn Butler, a nurse practitioner at the health center, and with her husband Jeffrey Butler, the executive director of the center. I began by asking Carolyn what the Johnson Health Center does. Sure, sure. So the Johnson Health Center is a... Um, we're an a independent nonprofit medical practice, um, and we offer low barrier access, no barrier access to um, uh, addiction care um, and uh, care for folks with substance use disorders, as well as primary care um, for the general community. What does it mean that you're, uh, you know, provide care for people in? recovery how is that different than you know what other places you've worked in your career yeah yeah so the the whole premise behind johnson health center was to create a space that um, helped to both reduce the stigma around substance use disorders but also helped helps to um, heal some of the trauma a lot of people have a lot of trauma around medical care um, and you know, we really, really worked hard to create a space that was inviting and comfortable and a place that people could kind of start to work through that and feel more comfortable getting care, um, care themselves. And so what is the specialized care that people in recovery need? A big piece of it is, is acceptance, you know, and a place that people can come Oftentimes you'll have people that sort of come in for one reason and it's sort of like they're dipping their toe in the water, you know, and that there's a whole lot of stuff going on, but they're willing to address this one thing. And sort of each time they come in, they get a little more comfortable. Um, So we really worked to create an environment that was inviting and, um, you know, really, really unique so that people could come in and, you know, we had a space for people to to just be there was a area with a couch and you know microwave uh, access to the internet a laptop you know just sort of a spot Um, so you were saying uh, as we drove up there a, a vending machine being replaced tell me about the vending machine so um we'll have the first free naloxone vending machine it'll be accessible 24 hours a day and people are able to just walk right up to it and get naloxone which is the the reversal agent for opioid overdoses first in the country you said first in the state i believe that they have them in some some other areas but this is definitely the first one in vermont 
why is it important to have a free vending machine of Narcan? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, really a big a big piece of, of the puzzle to all of this is to get us all really comfortable with what to do in the event of an overdose, you know, and through having easy access that's, you know, you can drive up at midnight if you don't want anybody to know, um, it starts to normalize it, you know. So, so I remember when defibrillators started going in at malls and grocery stores and things like that, everybody sort of said like, oh gosh, I won't know what to do. Now it's the first thing we run for if we need it. And I'm, I'm hoping that this is going to be a step towards that, that we'll, we'll, we'll all carry Narcan. We'll all, you know, know what to do if, if we need it. This is also a center where people in recovery can get like Suboxone and explain what that is and um, the challenge that people face in, in getting that at a regular health center. So um, we, d- we definitely offer all forms of medications for opioid use disorder. Um, uh, Suboxone is the, the one that, that we uh, give the most. Um, and it, it sometimes can be hard to, to go into a doctor's office and say that you need help. Um, and, uh, you know, again, we've tried to really work to normalize it, that it's just, it's absolutely okay and come on in. And, you know, I think Lamoille County is, is uh, doing a really good job of having good access to Suboxone. Um, but this year we offer very low barrier. So um, many folks uh, can utilize services and are still struggling with active use. Um, so that doesn't affect their ability to come in and get get help. So the big question is, will you reopen here? Um, you know, we're exploring a lot of options, but one of the things we always come back to is this is the place that we built up and feel very comfortable here. We've made a really, really welcoming center. Um, like Carolyn said, it's a very low barrier, open door, um, and I can see us being back here. So moving to higher ground is not in the cards? Um, not today. Um, higher ground's always a good place to be, but I think moving forward, we'll be in a good place here. We're going to put some things in place that'll keep us safer um, and make sure that the building is secure moving forward. Um, so I read some interviews with you right after the flood. You were feeling pretty dispirited, and you were certainly not putting out the message that you were going to come right back what has changed since july 10th the floods um the community outpouring really the support um people showing up and helping um coming back into this building after we've gotten through some of the demo work that needed to be done um walking in um, three days ago the building felt dry um walking in you felt like you were actually walking back into uh, a construction zone for a new 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 building it had a it had a feeling of hope inside of it again, and I could feel that, which in the days prior, um, I had my doubts. Not my doubts that we would come back to Johnson, just the, that we would come back to this site in particular. Carolyn, why do you do this work? Yeah, yeah. So this, I, you know, this is my passion. This is this is something that you know I absolutely love. It's it's been my favorite favorite part of my nursing career um, and um, I do it because people people need the care people need need 
they need hope, you know, and they need um, places that will let them come in and um, start from scratch. And, uh, you know, I think that um, that's something that's really unique and special about Johnson and the whole, the whole, all of our collective organizations is that it, it gives people a chance to um, restart. I walk into Jenna's Coffee House, located in the heart of downtown Johnson. The smell of coffee competes with the enticing smell of baked goods like scones and croissants. I meet up with Greg Tatro there. What is the idea and the relationship of the cafe to your mission? Well, it's about workforce development, and it's also about uh, helping the town uh, have a place to go to, to gather, to, to talk, to... Uh, be together you know you'll see people in here they're visiting it's just like any coffee shop you go to and uh, so it, it, we try to give back to the town something as we're doing this process you know because uh, well it's only fair right maybe some people in town maybe don't understand what we're doing quite but they understand how to come here and enjoy a coffee and a sandwich or something you know so are the people who are working here, is this all part of their recovery work? Or There's a few here that came from our uh, program, and then there's a few that aren't. Now, Two Sons Bakery runs a coffee shop and the food. We lease it to them, but we have an agreement that when we have residents that are ready, that they'll hire them, because they need help too. It's kind of the same model I talked about earlier. Smaller scale, obviously, but... Uh, but we really think that uh, that's, that's what's going to take this to the next level is, uh, you know, uh, somebody who's a good person that wants to uh, help folks and uh, train them to work, you know. So this is not owned by Jenna's Promise or the building is? Or it's, uh, it's a build, the building's owned by Jenna's Promise Trust LLC. So it's a low profit, not a non-profit. And then we lease the main floor to Two Sons Bakehouse. And then upstairs, there's uh, eight beds upstairs. So it's kind of a, you know, uh, David, I'm, I don't know if I know exactly who owns everything right here. <laughs> Not sure I really care, to be honest with you. But um, somebody does, and I'm probably associated with it. <laughs> so, um, hi, Rachel. Can you tell me your name? Uh, my name is Rachel, and I am the manager here at Jenna's Coffee House. What brought you to the coffee house? Um, I was part of the Jenna's Promise program um, last year. I've been here a little over a year, and I started working here when we opened, and now I'm the manager. <laughs> How does that feel? Did you expect a year ago that you would be managing a coffee shop? Um, if you would have told me this a year ago, I would have probably laughed. <laughs> um, no, I really didn't, but hard work pays off, and I'm here now. What has, it, what has this work meant to you in your recovery? Um, I think mostly it's just meant that I have a purpose right now, whereas when you're you know, kind of in early recovery, you don't feel like you have so much of a purpose, and so it's kind of hard to find, but this was really easy for me to kind of fall into. For the staff you're working with who are in recovery, you 
obviously have great deep insight and empathy. Um, what are the challenges that they face and how are you able to help them through that? I think mainly, mostly the challenges are being accountable and, you know, having the want or motivation to get up and go to work every day and do what you're supposed to be doing in life because I think you kind of lose that along the way um, in addiction. And so I think the most I can help with is being like kind of like that role model or like that goal for people, um, especially new girls coming into the program. I t they have they tell me all the time, like, I want to work at the cafe. I want to, you know, it looks like you're doing so good and you're doing having so much fun, which we are having a lot of fun here. And that's what our goal is to try to make it a fun place to be. What was the key thing for you that kind of turned the corner in your recovery? Um, I think mostly this place. Um, I try to do it a lot. I tried a few times before. Um, and you really have to remove yourself from the place that you were and become the person that you know you are. And that's here. What has been the impact of the flood, both on you and on some of your staff who are in recovery? Um, I think the biggest impact has been housing. Um, I, we, we were pretty fortunate here. It was the basement um, in the cafe building alone, but the, you know, at the house out back that the girls live in, it was a huge transition. And for me personally, this is probably the worst disaster I've seen since 9-11. So like as far as like up close and personal and I was young then, but you know, this is something where the girls were living here and watching the water rise um, literally out back. So that's something where I think people sh are struggling um, all through town. So it's kind of just being here being a place for people to just come and meet their friends, AC to sit in, you know, Wi-Fi. It's kind of a big deal. Does your own recovery give you some uh, little pearl of wisdom you can share with others, whether it's flood recovery or any other kind of recovery? Um, I think the biggest advice that I could give somebody and that helped me or is helping me is just not giving up on yourself, you know, powering through hard times such as floods or, you know, housing, whatever it is. Like, there's you can get through it like I've, I, I've gotten through a lot of stuff that I, I didn't think I would so thank you you're welcome one thing that's incredible about this too as mentioned kind of by both of them is that you know this is kind of the final stage it starts at JP's and it builds to this but this is a real real live functioning business and the idea that that could be actually part of a program that has a clinical aspect to it that kind of gives them that on-ramp up to this final stage. This is, this is, I mean, there are people here who are not in recovery who are working here as their job as well. Um, so there's, there's beauty in this model, and we've kind of stumbled upon something that I think is really great, and Two Sons has been incredible um, with the work that they've done and their willingness to jump in as well um, you know, feet first into this challenge of workforce development, recovery, labor issues, and crises as, as well. But it's it's pretty it's pretty um, 
amazing to see. And it's hard to find a place in a restaurant where there's not substance use rampant throughout it. And through Rachel's management, you know, she's helping to create a place here that doesn't have that. And that's special. That's a diamond, you know, out in the rough. So, um. so Rachel, when and for whom are they eligible to come work here? And also, when did this open? The coffee shop so we opened um november of last year and the way that it works um through the program is there's workforce development phases or stages um so once they've kind of once i should say once the residents have kind of done you know they have an intensive outpatient program for like 12 weeks that they do they have jps that they start at and then they kind of check off the list through workforce development and then they get sent to me um and as far as like you know i'm an employee of jenna's promise house but i'm also an employee of two sons and so you know they go through the interview process um and we kind of go from there so it's it's real life jobs experience you know you're not guaranteed anything and so i think that that's really important to point out is that when when the girls from the program come here they are ready to go if that makes sense yeah rachel went through all the steps to get here <laughs> yeah. and she's a she's a worker i mean this is a perfect example of why we shouldn't give up yeah so So, read me the sign on the wall there and what does that mean to you i put that up actually i had brandon put that up um in a world where you can be anything be kind that is something that's really important for us here like i have made it really a point that everyone here is super kind and genuine and even the customers are so kind and genuine here it's not a place where we get com complaints or you know bad service or anything like that we're like that is important to me is to be completely kind because you never know it further breaks down the stigma yeah. right because it's hard to dislike you know addicts as people call them um when you're interacting with people who are just genuinely wonderful people and like like scales falling off um you know you see that they're just individuals no different from anyone else and that misnomer and that that stereotype and that prejudice melts away when you're interacting with them and getting a great egg and cheese sandwich or a cup of coffee from them and that's the, that's been the ideal that we've always kind of reached towards with jenna's promise and we're bringing something back. Like dad said, this building was abandoned and we brought it back to life. And we brought a service that was missing from Johnson back to Johnson, just like the health center, just like a community center, just like, you know, uh, JP's promising goods with surplus goods and discount goods. That's if we give some and they give some, then we all win. And the town has embraced us. We've embraced the town. We're giving something to the town. The town's giving something to us. And that's how this sort of model can work. And like a spark, you can light a fire that can spread throughout the region and um, you know, bring light to areas where right now we just ignore and don't think about those people when those people are us. Rachel is a prime example of the past is past. The future's now. So... 
you know, we all made mistakes and some were bigger than others or some lasted longer than others. But, you know, people come in here and work with customers and Rachel takes care of them. They don't know you're in recovery. You know, you're just a regular old person just like everybody else is because she's worked so hard. It's kind of funny to think that you work so hard to be a regular old person <laughs> in a way. So, but, but she is. No, you know, most people come in don't know your story. Not unless I tell them. Are you comfortable sharing a little of your story? Um, I think mostly I, what matters the most of my story and the part that I will share is that um, things can spiral so quickly out of control um, when you're in addiction that if you have a chance to jump out of it, you have to. Um, because just like you know any anybody that's lost someone in addiction you you never know and I think that you know I was one of the lucky ones because we don't make it out alive usually and so I think if you have a chance to get out get out. Dawn Tatro was Jenna's mom. She is a co-founder of Jenna's Promise with her husband Greg. I ask her the meaning of the sunflowers that I see everywhere around the buildings of Jenna's Promise. Oh, the sunflower was um, Jenna's favorite flower, um, and um, she, every time I got her flowers, I always got her sunflower, but also the meaning of the sunflower standing strong and looking at the light always um, to get strength, and that's kind of what we try to encourage. So when we last talked, on this was an idea. It, it wasn't a building. It wasn't a cafe or a restored church. What does it mean to you to see all these Jenna's Promise buildings and businesses around Johnson? It is actually, um, it's just, I look back and I thought this was a vision and a hope and um, it's really saving lives like we wanted it to. And, um, and I see doors to that just keep opening to help us, whether it be through housing or workforce development or treatment for these individuals. And um, I never thought it would be possible to pull something like this all together. But um, I, I, some, I believe Jenna's up there working a little magic <laughs> and opening doors. So it's been so easy, easier, not easy for us to um, get all these um, these partners together to make this happen. What has the flood done? How much of a setback is this? Well, it's really put our program to a halt because we can't take any, um, and all the applications, we review applications every week. And um, so we have people that are coming in and we had to turn them down. And so that was really hard because they had a place here and some of them had come from corrections and were ready to come and they had to go back to corrections because we didn't have room. Um, but it's definitely made us stronger and, um, you know, we've had to come up with creative ideas to, to be able to get everybody together without losing five beds <laughs> has been tough. Um, but I, I believe that... Uh, it won't be long and we'll be up and running again. And just like today, we got the word like, hey, 
you can start sheet rocking. <laughs> That's magic. <laughs> I guess I feel like this is, um, it's like losing Jenna. You never know what life's going to throw at you and it just kind of grounds you and, and says, you know, don't take things for granted because they can be gone. So, and it gives us hope because we all work together and we can make a difference. I turn to Greg Tatro, co-founder of Jenna's Promise, for the last word. What wisdom can you share from the journey of Jenna's Promise and the recovery you know, guidance that you do for other people who are dealing with recovery of a different sort? Well, you know, you just gotta, you can't lose hope. You gotta have hope and keep, keep moving ahead, even if it's small steps every day. But, uh, you know, we're gonna get through this flood and uh, look back on it. It'll be a part of the history of Vermont, there's no doubt. But, uh, you know, just don't give up hope. I know some people are really suffering from, from the flood. And the sad part is a lot of folks that didn't have anything to begin with lost every little thing they had. Uh, Jenna's promise will come through it okay. But I do feel for the less fortunate people and uh, kind of wish I could fix everything for them. But it, uh, we can't, we don't have the capacity to do that. But uh, I, I wish them well and, you know, don't give up hope. Just, uh, we're going to get there. That does it for this week's Vermont Conversation. I'm David Goodman. Thanks so much for listening.